Um, today we are in the fifth, fifth part of the Gospel of Mark. The fifth part of the Gospel of Mark. Thank you so much for those of you who have been praying for my health and uh, that God gives me the, the strength to continue and to get to the pulpit every Sunday and do his bidding. Also, thank you so much for the encouragement of the fact that you all are using the Sunday morning, the, the, the morning prayers on Telegram. It's just very encouraging to know that you listen, that you're using it, and that it, it starts your day off. It gives me great courage to do that. So uh, encouragement to do that. So that's it. Today, part five, no good without him. And you have your passage already read for you. You could keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter two. Let's begin. And if you're here for the first time, you are our honored guest. May the Lord bless you for coming. Do you struggle to love other people in church? Do you struggle to love other people in church, in your church, in your home group? Is it a challenge to love other people? Is it a struggle to see people forgiven by God who have offended you? They've worked against you. They've been bad to you. They've said things to you. They've, they have not been good people. And you have been on the receiving end of some of the most, some of their vilest thoughts, words, and behavior. And then God goes and forgives them. God accepts them. God loves them. God answers their prayer. How irritating is that? Right? It is so difficult when God chooses people you don't choose. When he loves people you don't love. When he forgives people you don't forgive. That is probably harder on the disciple than it is on God himself. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowds were coming to him and he was teaching them. That's what Jesus did. That's what he wanted to do. That's why he was here. And as he passed by, the, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the table, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. All four gospels touch very briefly on the follow part. Jesus looked, Matthew responded, Levi responded, he said, follow him, he leaves everything, leaves his booth, leaves his duty, leaves his toll booth, and he follows Jesus. That's all that is said about him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with these horrible people? Why does he eat with tax collectors? Why does he eat with sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. All right. So we're looking at very few verses. You've got to know this passage. You've got to know the story. And we want to take away as much as possible from this story. Now, as Jesus builds his momentum, as Jesus builds his momentum, he's going from town to town, place to place. He's preaching the gospel. People are keenly tuned in. People are breaking through the roof to let their friends through. People are coming to him asking deep and searching questions. Their answers through all the questions that were raised as they read the Talmud, as they read the Old Testament scriptures, as they read the Torah. They were, they were confused about certain things. They went face to face with 
the Son of God? And he answered their questions and he was enjoying this. And he, and he continued to do miracles and he continued to question and rattle the established religious order. He questioned the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. He rattled their thinking so that they actually got to the bottom of the heart. They actually got to the heart of the Old Testament rather than the words and the jot and tittle of it. He rattled them. He made it difficult for them. He rocked the boat. He did this by doing two things. Number one, by teaching with authority. He taught with authority. Never has any man spoken like this man. Never has any man taught like this man. The, the, the Pharisees and the scribes have been teaching for ages. But they never spoke like him. When he speaks, it's like as if he's speaking his own words with such assurance and certainty. He taught with authority. That, that rattled the whole establishment. The second thing is he touched the untouchable. He touched the untouchable. He called the contemptible. He called the contemptible. He loved the least of them. He loved the least of them. What was set apart by society, he went after. Those who were despised by the religious establishment, he went after them. He rattled the boat. He rattled the establishment by doing just that. First, he teaches with authority. And secondly, and the questions constantly were irksome. Big questions the leadership kept asking. Why does, who does he think he is? Who does this man think he is? What does he think he's doing? How can he go about doing this? And he's a ratified, certified rabbi. So he's up for questioning. Why is he doing it? By what authority do you do this, Jesus? Okay. And why we leave them to their dismay, trying to figure who this Jesus is. We carry on with our story in the Gospel of Mark. And he's just told a paralytic that your debt is canceled. He's just told, a, if someone just knocked on your door one fine morning, 8.30 at morning, Thursday morning, they just came to your door and they just came and sat down. You don't know who they are, from where they've come, you have no idea. And suddenly this man just walks into your house, sits in your favorite couch, uses, usually takes your place, and he sits there and he turns to you and says, uh, how's it going? I say, yeah, it's okay. And you got any credit card debt? Yeah, yeah, I got credit card debt. Uh, do you have any loans? Oh, I've got a lot of loans. Oh, most of it goes 80% of the, that's not good financial planning. But anyway, all of it is going into loans. Yeah, a lot of people are knocking on my door. They, I owe them money. Oh, okay. oh really, really? Anyway, I'm here to tell you that uh, nobody's going to come after you anymore. All your <laughs> loans are canceled. The banks have forgotten your name. Your file has been erased and everything is cleared. You're good to go. Bye-bye. And you'd be like, okay. Firstly, who are you? And do the banks know you? More important, do the banks know you? Do my loan sharks know you? You get where I'm going with this? How difficult that must have been for these people. Who has the right to forgive sin? Who has the right to cancel debt? Jesus went about doing that. And their big question is, who on earth can forgive sin? Because only God in heaven can forgive sin. And Jesus says, yes, God on earth can forgive sin. The Son of Man. God here on earth can forgive sin. The Son of Man. Go, your sins are forgiven you. Son, your sins are forgiven you. 
He went out again, began, and, and beside the sea, and all the crowds were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he passed by a toll booth. Now you go from, from town to town, village to village, and every time you moved from one place to another, the Roman uh, government had, had, had their people all over the place, and they had systems in place, and they were very, very calculated in collecting taxes and collecting tolls. When you went from one place to another, you carried things that you had bought. There was business going back and forth, and there was products, and there was business uh, items that you took. And every time you took business items, or when you carried, or you entered a certain place, you had to pay a toll. And these toll booths were there alongside the way. And these almost became synonymous with, with dacoits. Decoits would meet you on the middle of the road, and, it, and the toll booth people were, the, were kind of the same. And what you had was essentially, under the Roman rule, under the Roman rule, you had tax collectors. And tax collectors were brutal. Tax collectors had, were working for the Roman government. And as they were working for the Roman government, they, they, just, they just had lost all desire or compassion or, uh, or, or gentleness in dealing with people. They were bound by the Romans, they were also empowered by the Romans, and they were. But you have a man here who was not serving the Romans directly. You have Matthew or Levi, and most people had two names, Simon Peter, Matthew, Levi, and over here Mark calls him Levi, but he's Matthew for uh, FYI. And Matthew is, is working for, the, for Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is is, is, is of the Israeli realm, he's of the Jewish realm, and he's looking after the Jewish uh, con uh, constituency. But there's the Roman government overall, and then you've got the local governments and the, and, the, and the nobles and others, and Herod Antipas is one of them. So this guy is working for Herod Antipas, and he reports to Herod Antipas. Now he is taking up the franchisee of a toll booth. Toll booths were franchise simply so that, so that you could then you know, have as many as possible. Have as many corrupt people in place as possible. Corruption was rampant right throughout the whole system. And what they would essentially do, what Levi did, was take a franchisee of a toll booth. He's paying a certain set amount to Herod Antipas. Herod takes his cut of the share, and he gives to Rome what he gives to Rome. And, Herod, and, and Levi can then make as much on top of whatever is expected from him. So if 100 rupees is a toll amount, and they're asking you for 100 rupees, he can go up to 300 rupees, and he can ask for 500 rupees, depending on how strong the muscle was, depending on who, how, how weak the victim was. He could use and abuse that particular situation. And everybody passing by was filled with contempt at a fellow Jew who was ripping them off in the name of Herod Antipas and ripping them off just to get into their own towns. It's like going to your own local market and having to pay parking. In your own market. And you see that man daily, day in, day out. And it's franchise, so he's there. That's his booth. It's Matthew at his toll booth. It's at his desk. And he's standing there. And people like him were all over the place. So you had these traitors. Are you listening to me? You had these traitors from among us. It's like as if a church member went into parliament or went into the police or went into this thing. And they were ripping you off. They were taking bribes from you. They were trying to make the most of them Get, or for themselves from you. And the next he comes into church and says, I love Jesus. 
I love Jesus. You're like, no, you could love Jesus from outside. You're not coming into our church. You can come. It's, it's kind of like that. And there were not 1.3 billion people like India. It was a small community. They knew each other. Everybody knew whose uncle was whose auntie. And everybody knew who was who and who had become traitors along with Herod Antipas or along with Caesar or anyone else. Are you getting the, the irksomeness here? Are you getting the, the anger here? And Jesus is walking around with his disciples and he comes from one town to another and he crosses Matthew's toll booth and he looks at Matthew as he walks by and he calls him out. He calls him out. He calls him out of his toll booth. He calls him out of his life. He calls him out of his wickedness. He calls him out of that way of living. He calls even Matthew, even Matthew, he calls him out. In chapter 1, Jesus touched the untouchable. He touched a leper. But at least the leper is not, did not choose his leprosy, did he? He did not choose his leprosy. He did not choose to be an untouchable. But Jesus went after the leper and Jesus touched the untouchable. He chose the leper. He healed the leper. But Levi chose his disease. Levi chose his state. He was a traitor. He was a betrayer to his countrymen. And he's not just a Roman. He's a Jew who has betrayed his countrymen. He had volunteered to do the dirty work of the ruling government. He was corrupt to the core. And you can see, see this from a Jewish perspective. You see it from a business perspective. You see from, 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 from how betrayed they felt about their own society, their own community, by this one man and his type. So unlike Zacchaeus and other famous tax collectors down from south in Jericho, Levi did not work directly for the Romans. Most likely, Jesus encounters him on the edge of Capernaum at the point where people coming in from the neighboring territory and to enter Herod Antipas' realm. There, they will come across Levi collecting customs duties on whatever they are carrying. And now that they sound innocent, that, that may sound innocent enough, you dare later realize how they actually operate. Levi paid a fixed fee to buy the tax franchisee from that and for that spot. Like a privatized booth with a business all to himself, where you can hike the prices and charge at will. For our ordinary first century Jew, a tax collector, he's offensive in three ways to his community. Number one, Notoriously dishonest and corrupt, obviously. Number two, he's objectionable because of his constant contact with Gentiles. By constantly being in contact with Gentiles, he became filthy, he became untouchable. And in the Talmud, the list of tax collectors is listed along with murderers and robbers and disqualifies them even to be a witness in court. That's how bad it is. When you've gone down that track of being a tax collector, you're out, you're out. A third way, they were condemnable, traitors, because they were working for Herod's establishment. And they were the mafia who were just puppets in the Roman, Romans' hands. So anyone with an ounce of patriotism, even not even religious patriotism, just patriotism, is still hated these people. And Levi sits there by the road, ready to demand payment 
from Jesus and the disciples. Everybody avoided Matthew. They would go as far as possible to avoid him. Jesus goes straight to him. Jesus is different. And he walks up to Levi, this traitor. And he says to him, follow me. You can almost hear the sound of jaws dropping. Much remains unsaid. We don't know what runs through Levi's mind. We don't know how long that process took. But the Bible says Jesus asked. Levi followed. All we know is that Jesus called and Levi answered. Jesus called and Levi answered. From my heart to yours. Thank God Jesus didn't consult the crowds when he called me. Thank God he didn't turn to his disciples and says, Jeremy, should, should I call Jeremy? What do you think? Thank God he didn't in, call up the church, call up the government. Thank God he didn't consider my history, my treachery, my infamy. He called me because I needed him. And not the other way around. Jesus didn't need me, I needed him. He called me because he would bring the change in me that he wanted. Jesus, if only you knew what a kind of man he is, you wouldn't call him. Jesus is like, I know exactly what kind of man he is and I'm going to call him and I will make the change. You do the adjustment. He called me because he would bring the change. His love would transform my life. All he needed was for me to get up, leave the booth, and follow him. To get up, leave the booth, and follow him. Leaving the booth is leaving the lifestyle. Leaving the booth is leaving a, the corruption. Leaving my ex-boss, headed Antipas. Leaving that way of life. And no matter what I've been through, to follow Jesus and to make him my life. To leave that life behind and follow him. But the matter irked many. And he reclined at a table in his house. Verse 15, look at your Bibles. And as he reclined at the table, as he reclined at the table, this means this is the Dastarkhan, uh, right? You're all sitting there. You're sitting with your feet away and you're sitting toward the table and you're leaning on the table. You're eating, you're drinking, you're, uh, you're fellowshipping with people. As he reclined at the table in his house, underline, many tax collectors. Did you get that? Did you pick that up? Many tax collectors. So you have on the streets, out in the middle of nowhere, Matthew robbing his very own people. He's robbing his own people and you've got people passing by. And as he pays, as they pay him, they, they grow in their contempt. They grow and he feels the, the, the anger and the hatred of his own people. He can't go back to his cousin's birthday. He can't imagine what he's going to do with his future. He can't even marry somebody from his own community. And as he comes with Jesus, he follows Jesus all the way into the house only to find that he's not the only tax collector. There are Many tax collectors. He's not the only sinner being called to sainthood. He's not the only broken who's being called to healing. 
He comes to find that there are many others. There are many others with the same story. And that there is a new community. He doesn't have to win that old community that he has cheated or that he has sinned against. He can only come to, into the community of the others who have also failed and been broken. And with them he can find fellowship. He comes to the house where Jesus is reclining. And many tax collectors and sinners, many tax collectors, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. His disciples got the picture. He got the understanding because they themselves were broken. They themselves needed Jesus. There were many who followed him. He called Matthew and he followed him. So put the story together. So when you say people followed Jesus, it wasn't a religious thing. It wasn't, uh, oh, I like this guru. He's very, he's very clear. He really helps me with, with living my life better. Nah. -uh. Jesus wasn't a life coach. When Jesus called a Matthew out of his booth, when Jesus called a Peter and John out of their boat, when Jesus called a Zacchaeus, when Jesus called Thomas, he was changing a life. He was transforming a genre of people. He was transforming a climate. He was transforming an entire generation. He doesn't just call a person to follow Jesus because you're not a Christian on your own. When Jesus calls you, he calls everyone who you represent. He calls the people who need you, love you, know you, want you, hate you, owe you. He calls you to become Christ to all of them and he turns the whole community around. You are the beginning of the rest of the story. You are not the first, you are not the last, you are not the beginning, you're not the end. You are the beginning of the rest of the story of everybody who's in your life. And he comes into that house and he begins to see, that's a lot of you who also love Jesus. I thought I was the only despicable one. I thought I was the only hated one. I thought I was the only one that God called. And we behave like that, don't we? We go on like as if we are the only ones who have a trust in Christ, in God. Everybody else is unbelievers. Everybody else are rebel, rebels. But Jesus is called many. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating and with sinners and, and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat and, uh, with tax collectors and sinners? So you've got a rabbi, you've got a Jew, someone who shouldn't have anything to do with these people, shouldn't even uh, mix with these people, shouldn't be, even be seen with these people. Not only is he seen, he's eating and drinking with them. What does that mean? He was doing home group. It means he was doing home group. He was letting them take pictures. He, he was okay with being associated with them. He was okay with being associated with them. But, they, but you don't understand, the, he was okay with them. Because he was going to make them okay. The big question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Are you now getting it? Do you get how you know, offensive the very sight and thought of a tax collector was? Do you understand? He's your own cousin who decided to jump ship and work for the ruling party or work for the opposition or work for someone else. He's making the most of the situation at your expense. He's that cousin. Tax collectors. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he fellowship with them? Why does he connect with them? The resounding answer Jesus gives 
full of sarcasm, the resounding answer. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. See, the doctor doesn't get sick when he comes to visit the patient. The doctor is not the friend of the patient. The doctor is the doctor. The doctor remains the doctor. And hopefully the doctor is wearing a mask. And the doctor doesn't go back with the same disease. So he's not saying you should also go and be one with everybody else and eat and drink with everybody else. He's not saying that. This is not a verse to be used for socializing with the world. This is Jesus talking here. And Jesus changes lives. You can't come into the company of Jesus and your life not get changed. You can't come into the company of Jesus and your perspective toward other lives change, not change. The resounding answer, those who are well have no need of a physician. Remember I said sarcasm? But those who are sick, I came not to call, say it. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but Sinners. Now you tell me. Here's the sarcasm. Who is well? Is there anybody who's well? Who is righteous? Is there anybody who's righteous? When Jesus is around, all are sick. And all are sinners. But Jesus makes this statement. You know why he makes this statement? Because of the people who are asking the question. The people who are asking the question don't think they're sick. And they don't think they're sinners. And there is no hope for self-righteous people. There is no healing for self-righteous people. Everybody is sick. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody is sick. Everybody needs to be healed. The Jews, far more than rabbis, kept themselves pure by staying away Staying away from the people of the land, the traitors like Matthew. It's the sick that need a physician. There's no righteous here, there's no well here. All are sick. What's the problem? They didn't think they needed Jesus. But Matthew needed Jesus. Peter needed Jesus. John needed Jesus. I need Jesus. The Jews, more so rabbis, needed to be separate from these people. My brothers and sisters, holiness doesn't come from separating yourself from people who need a savior. Holiness doesn't come from separating yourself from people who need a savior. Holiness comes from proximity to the Savior. Holiness comes from proximity to the Savior. The moment those traitors were Jesus' friends, they became well. The moment those sinners came into proximity with Jesus, they were healed, they were made righteous, they became his friends. Those who are in proximity to Jesus that's what makes you holy. Not being away from sinful people. You don't become a holy person by not sinning. 
You become a holy person by being close to the one who is holy. Holiness rubs off on you, just like sin rubs off on you. So if you are away from sinner or sin or sinful people, you are at best not sinful, but you are not holy. Holiness comes from being in the presence of God. Church is the presence of God. All of the time devoted to church from start to finish is the presence of God. It's not the worship or the music segment that's the presence of God. It's not only the message that's the presence of God. It's not only the few quick conversations and prayer before and after that is the presence, or home group that's the presence. It is the whole thing. It's the whole thing. And being in the presence of God individually with your wife or, or your husband, with your family, with your home group, with your friends, being in God's presence and practicing the presence of God is what makes you holy, for which you need to be disciplined about it. You can't schedule meetings. You've got to make it a habit. You've got to make it a lifestyle. I need to hang with Jesus. Please excuse me, I'm going to be alone with the Lord in my room for a while. Don't, excuse, don't, don't disturb him. He's talking to Christ. He's, he's, in the, he's in the presence of the Lord. He's gone to be with the Lord for a few minutes. Everybody respecting everybody else's space as they go to be in the presence of God. It is a lifestyle where you plan to have four spiritual friends and you say, we're going to get on WhatsApp. We're going to get on uh, get together and we're going to make Jesus the center of our attention. Of our... How do you spend time in proximity to Jesus? God's presence is everywhere, but Jesus' presence needs to be sought. And if you don't be close to Christ, you're not practicing holiness. You're not going to get the joy of holiness. The joy. So holiness is something you attain by the absence of sin. A room doesn't become bright because you remove all the darkness. It becomes bright because you fill it with light. And as you spend time with Jesus, as you hang out with Jesus, and that is in the context of people, in the context of the word. As you spend time alone with the word, alone and with people who love Jesus and worship him and, 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 and want to talk about him and want to talk to him, that is when you are exercising proximity to Christ. Why are you weak? Why do you struggle with sin? Why do you struggle with bad thoughts? Why do you struggle with temptation? Why do you struggle with anxiety and stress and worry? Because the whole week you are letting the world and its entertainment into your head. The whole week you are avoiding every possible believer and building yourself up for the Sunday morning because they're all going to come at you at once. The whole week you are an absolute disconnect to the body of Christ, to believers, to the word, to prayer. And suddenly on Sunday morning, we expect magic. We expect miracles. We expect an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Proximity to God is practiced when daily, hourly, there is a connect and you stay close to him. And if you don't know how to do that, we teach you that in the 201 class, in the discipleship class. If you don't know how to do that, we have people ready to take you through a three-month, four-month, six-month course on how to understand. And it's not academic. It's something you learn and obey, learn and obey, trust and obey, learn and obey. How does holiness come? Not the absence of sin, but proximity to the Savior. Sin, and this is the best part about how to get rid of sin. Don't fight sin. The more you fight sin, the more you're susceptible to it. Okay? Now you choose your sin. Every one of us has a favorite one. 
some have two. And you choose your sin. Whatever you've decided is your sin. I also ask that you reference with Jesus what he thinks is a sin in your life. You might be pleasantly surprised. But the more you go after, let's say the candy, right? Let's say a candy. I don't like sweet. Personally, I'm more namkeen types, but let's go with candy. The more you like the candy, the more you look at the candy and you're holding it in your hand and say, no, 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 no. No, 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 I don't know. No, 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 no. It's still in your hand. And you're still looking at it. And what's got your attention is? What's got your attention is? The candy. Now, when you turn to Jesus, he reduces your insulin. He reduces your cravings. And you lose the need And the next time you pass it, you don't need it. You don't need it. Sin is meeting a need that God was meant to meet. And when God meets that need, that need no more leaves you vulnerable to that sin. You don't need that sin anymore. You get how it works? You don't fight sin. You stay close to Jesus. You stay in proximity to Christ. You spend time with believers. Yes, you don't like those believers, I know. But nobody asked you to like them. But you spend time because they are going to heaven with you forever and ever and ever. Deal with it. And when you spend time with them and Jesus becomes the center of your talk or your walk, your, you find yourselves becoming almost disinterested, disenchanted with sin. Remember, sin will always have a plug on you. It will always have a kitch. It will always have a grip. Sin will always have a, uh, an attraction. It's attractive because it is sin and you must realize that, that, in, that horrible uh, marriage between desire and sin. Holiness comes from the Savior himself because it's not my holiness that I have anyway. If I was to become holy, it's not my holiness. You get that, right? Even if I was to become holy, it's not my holiness. I have no holiness of my own. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. Romans chapter 6 verse 20, 23. I have no holiness of my own. So if I was to become holy, it would be the holiness of Christ that is in me. And I can't expect the holiness of Christ in me as I'm watching hours of television, watching, reading hours of books, listening to all the F's and B's and D's of all of my colleagues, laughing at all the, 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 the jokes and the 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 the, the Mocking and, uh, and, and what's the word? The, the sacrilege and the, uh, what's that word? The blasphemy. The blasphemy. And they use your Savior's name like a conjunction. They use your Savior's name like, a, like, a, like an expletive. Morning, noon, and night. And you're, you're giggling like an idiot with them. And then you expect the holiness of Jesus to be poured out to you. I'm trying to repair, correct, realign your thinking. It's not going to happen like that. You're going to have to say no to certain friends, certain activities in certain places. You're going to have to be separate in certain ways. The holiness of God comes from the Savior himself. It comes from Jesus. You have none of your own. You can empty yourself of sin, but you can't fill yourself with holiness. You can only be filled with holiness. And when you're filled with the holiness of Jesus, there is no space for the sin that you also want. 
He guarantees the change that he calls for. And he empowers the transformation he demands. He guarantees the change he's called. When Jesus says, I want to change you, he brings about that change. He doesn't ask you to read positive thinking books and, th and, and work out your yoga, poga, and whatever else you do upside down and figure this whole thing out. Jesus brings about the change that he wants you. He takes away the desire for sinning. He changes your desire for darkness. And he gives you that comfort with light. He guarantees the change that he calls for. He empowers the transformation he demands. God is going to call people to follow him from all sorts of walks of life. God is going to call people that you don't like those who have betrayed you, those who have been hated by you and you have hated, God is going to call into his, into his family, call into his kingdom, call into his body, people whom you don't approve with. And you will find as you walk in and follow Jesus into the house that many others, many others of your caliber and genre are all sitting there and they found Jesus before you. But remember, it's not them, it's Jesus who called them. And if Jesus called them and Jesus called me, we are here for, say it, we are here for Jesus. You and I are here for Jesus. You come to the church for Jesus. You don't come for the music. You don't come for the message. You don't come for the pastor. You don't come for what you will get. You come for what you will give. And you come prepared, wrapped, cleaned. You come ready to give, to hand over. And all you're worried about at the end of the service is, Lord, were you pleased with my worship? Lord, were you pleased with my sacrifice? If you're going home analyzing the worship team or the songs or the drag of, 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 of the service, if you're analyzing the message or the, the, the delivery or the jokes, if you're analyzing who was wearing what, can you imagine how she looked? Can you imagine what she was wearing? If you're doing all of that, you don't get it. You don't get it. You are here for Jesus. And if Jesus has not wrapped your attention and got you captivated, you haven't heard the call. Because if you open your eyes, you'll find that everybody else is like you. And you are like everybody else. And you're not here because of everybody else. You're here because Jesus changes lives. You're here because Jesus empowers the transformation that he demands from you. And Jesus is going to call people you don't like, you don't want, you don't will. So which one of the types are you? Are you the Pharisee? Why does he eat and drink with sinners? Why does he eat? He's a rabbi. He should eat and drink with us. We are separate from them. He eats and drinks with sinners. Are you a Pharisee? Are you a disciple? Oh, that's not Matthew. He's calling Matthew. He's calling Matthew. Can you imagine he's calling Matthew? Matthew is my second cousin. My uncle. No, no, on the other side. My mother's side. He's, I know this guy. He is filthy. I, I don't know why he's calling him. Maybe Jesus, 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 don't, Jesus, not him, Jesus. Jesus, please. Jesus, not him. Turn it. He's called him. Now he's come to my church. He's coming to my church. Maybe I can go to some other church. Are you a disciple that is struggling to adjust because you don't love other believers? There is no love in your heart for other believers because you're basing it not on Jesus' call of them, you're basing it on their character, which Jesus plans to change. 
Or perhaps you are the one being called. You're in the booth. You're in the booth. And you're the one being called. I don't know how long it took Matthew to, to, to think about it, but he left everything and called. So even a Matthew can change. Say amen. Even a Saul can change. A Zacchaeus can change. Anyone can change. You and I can change. And if all of us can change, it is him bringing about the change. We need to fill these seats with people who need Jesus. We need to fill these seats with people who need Jesus. Invite people to church and don't judge. Don't prejudge who will hear the call or not. Just invite people to church. We have enough of apathetic Christians, complacent Christians, namesake Christians, or my mom used to call them Naunkivaste Christians. We have enough of those types. And they will come and go, fruitcake Christians, Christmas and Easter. You don't worry about them. Open your heart and your arms to people who need Christ. Be, an, be a change agent. Be an Andrew. Be someone who brings people to Christ. Because Jesus came to turn sinners into saints. Jesus came to turn strangers into friends. He came for the worst. He came for the lost. He came for failures. He came for the fallen. He came for me. He didn't come for those who think they can be good without him. He came for those who knew they were no good without him. No good without him. I am no good without him. May the Lord fill this church with people who are no good without him. Do some business with God. Just bow your head. Bow your head in a few moments of quietness. Just do your business with God. Which are you? Are you the Pharisee? Are you the disciple who's adjusting to all the others coming in? Are you the one who's being called? Is God calling you today? Has God called you many times and you've taken up to today to decide? Is today going to be the decision you decide to say, you know what, this is it, I'm coming. I'm coming out, I'm following him. Maybe you don't want to follow because of the other disciples. Maybe the disciples don't want you to follow. Doesn't matter. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I'm Jeremy Dawson and if you liked what you just saw, if it was a blessing, then hit the subscribe button. Come on, you can do it. Hit the subscribe button, uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us. Lots of videos coming your way, songs, worship, encouragement. Come on, subscribe. Let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know. Write a comment in the section below. But let's see you guys again. Come on, subscribe. <laughs>